Welcome to these uh, infrequent pastor's chats. <laughs> we have all kinds of proposals. And we make New Year's resolutions that we're going to do more of these. And uh, maybe this year we'll be more regular with it. At any rate, if you're not a pastor, turn this off because we're going to cuss and spit and tell offensive stories. Actually, we're not going to do any of that, but this is designed, it's called Pastor's Chat, and it is designed for pastors, not not weenie pastors, I mean real pastors that have dirt under their fingernails, who sometimes get discouraged and sometimes wonder if they can do that job. I'm an old guy, I've been there, I've done that, I have the bloodied t-shirt, and we have some people here who are there now, and they'll be a part of it. And we have a great guest. Jerry is uh, a pastor of, um, of the Christian Family Worship Center, a place of grace, and my dear friend whom I love. Amen. Drew is an associate pastor at Willow Creek, the church I attend. And I've watched him since he was a little kid. <laughs> Actually, not that long, but he is a gift to our church. And he's been fun having him as a part of the staff. And then Kevin is my pastor. And that's reason we're not going to cuss and spit on this program. <laughs> because you just don't do that with your pastor sitting at the table. And then in the control room, we have a number of guys that are working. Jinx. Uh, and Jeremy are both doing audio, and John is doing video. But more important than all of those combined, we have a great guest. His name is Rick Gillert, uh, Reverend R.L. Gillert, and he's an Anglican priest, chaplain in the special jurisdiction of the armed forces and chaplaincy of the Anglican Church in North America. He, by the way, is serving his ministry in southeastern Kentucky. He's a poet, painter, musician, and librarian. And the book we're going to be talking about, he did the sketches, and they are dynamite. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I think that he has too many gifts, and it's not fair. Um, Jesus should be more careful and fair in giving out the gifts, one to each person, and that ought to be all. But he never listens to me when I tell him that. Father Gilbert is, uh, has pastored hundreds of people facing end of life. He was a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from John Brown University, MLIS from uh, Valdosta State University, and MDiv from Trinity School of Ministry. Rick, thanks for taking your time to be with us. Well, thank you for having me. You, um, and, and I'm, the name of the book is um, Crossing the Bar, a fortnight of meditations for those facing end of life. And um, it's not a gigantic book. It's not a large, in fact, it only has 14 short chapters. 
dealing with issues about death and dying. And do you work with hospice? I do. Are you a chaplain? I'm a chaplain with hospice, yeah. Okay, so. Uh, Oh, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I cover a pretty large area, um, a lot of different people, a lot of diversity. Um, I, some of the people I serve are pretty needy and, um, is this, it's just a great, great place to serve, a, a great place to, to be used by God. I, uh, we're, you know, we're going to talk about death and dying and pastors deal with that all the time. And, uh, and Rick, uh, he deals with it a lot more than we do. I was uh, taken aback a number of years ago. I was on a flight from Miami to Los Angeles, and the lady next to me died. Uh, mm. it, was, uh, it was an interesting experience and an informative experience. Uh, she got to feeling sick, and uh, flight attendants came. And uh, they put her on the ground in the aisle, and I watched as she died. They called for doctors. It was a 747, and a couple of doctors showed, but it was obvious. And by the way, the people that got on the plane uh, were coming back from cruise ships, and they were feeling no pain, laughing and wearing crazy shirts and bringing the stuff they had bought on their cruise ship and laughing and loud and irritating. But when this woman was dying, it got very quiet. And we landed at Dallas-Fort Worth, and, and um, they, they took the corpse off the plane. They came from the funeral director's place with a hearse, and, and we stood at the window and watched them bring the body down the side entrance to the plane and place the body in a in in the hearse and they drove off and then we reboarded the plane and started back for Los Angeles the difference and by the way just as an aside i went to the flight attendant and i said look i'm a clergyman i deal with death and dying a lot if there's anything that you would like me to do to help, uh, I'd be glad to help. And I promise you, I swear on a Bible, that she said to me, (laughs) Reverend, thank you for your offer, but we're going to serve free booze. Uh, or free drink, <laughs> and I thought, man, that's how that's how they deal with it. Is is they do, and but the difference between the people that got on the plane in Miami and the people that reboarded the plane in Dallas Fort Worth was amazing. Somber, quiet. Uh, we just don't want to talk about it. We don't want to. Th- and they were forced to look at the grim reaper in the eyes and Mm. kiss him on the lips, and they didn't like it one bit. You deal with that all the time, don't you? On a daily basis, yes. Tell me a little bit, and I spent some time this morning reading reading your book. It's it's more. It's not a full. It's not a big book, is it? Where can people? This is kind of an in-house thing. But if yeah. somebody wanted this book, where could they get it? Uh, you should be able to get it through Amazon and pretty much any bookstore. Um, 
you may have to ask them to order it, but they should be able to get it for you. And and it's um, and it's the kind of book that you'll want to read because it has a lot to say. It's meditations on the elements that are a part of the dying experience. Talk to us about, for instance, anger. Okay. Well, um, when someone is entering the end of life process, that you know that they know, they've been told they have just a few weeks or a few months to live. Um, people tend to get angry. There's angry at God, angry at the world, angry at themselves. A lot of times they get angry at other family members. Um, that anger can go in a lot of different directions. And it's one of our most primal emotions, and it covers for a lot of different things. Um, but it's a safe emotion to have in our culture, whereas pain, tears are not safe. How do you, uh, as a pastor, uh, how do you, when somebody expresses that anger, and I've seen it a thousand times, what do you do? Do you just let it rip? I usually do, yes. I, um, I mean, I would be angry if I were in their place. You know, they're, they're dealing with, you know, maybe they were the go-getter at work, and they were the person that got things done, but now they're in a bed and they can't do anything, and they have to sit there and watch the same reruns over and over and over again on TV is that's just what they get. And, um, you know, so a lot of times I'll say, look, I would be angry if I were you too. Um, you know, it's okay to be angry. Um, and, and in their own time, hopefully they're able to work past that, but you have to let them get through it and we can't rush them. We can't make them get through it. It's just a part, a natural part of, of the, the grieving process. And that's really what this book's about is grieving for those who are dying as opposed to grieving for those who have lost somebody. Wow. Hey, this is uh, Pastor Jerry. And uh, yes. my, my question is, um, as I've been reading uh, your book, um, I had a friend of mine uh, years ago that gave me this story that really um, have stuck with me. His wife was dying of cancer and his children, um, were all there, um, but he was believing God because he was a man of faith, mm-hmm. believing God for healing for his wife. So whenever they uh, they didn't they didn't sit down and talk about the terminal illness because they felt that if they talked about the terminal illness, that it was a sign that they had lost faith. So mm-hmm. I, I think my question is how can you balance the two or how do you balance the two with a family who's believing God for healing, but at the same time, the terminal illness is there. How do you balance that for them to still remain to have faith, to believe God for healing, but also accept that the terminal illness might be uh, of the cost of that? Good question. Well, the uh, kind of what, what happens in, in the dying process is people go through stages of hope. So, um, you know, they may be getting their hoping for a cure when that doesn't happen, the hope for a healing. And as they, hopefully as they grow in this process and in this journey to the end of life, their hope begins to develop and change. Um, now sometimes that hope doesn't go the next step until the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that does happen. And, you know, there are, you know, it, there are some people who believe that um, that if, if they do have 
hope. Um, they're guaranteed a miracle. And um, you can be there. You can you can listen to them. You, you can encourage them. And sometimes you just have to be there for them when, when things take place. So do you suggest that then you just kind of listen to what they're going through without dashing their hopes? Or is, is there some way that a pastor brings them into a reality of, of what's going to take place? Uh, tell us my, tell me my step as a pastor. Okay. How should I handle that? They usually will get there on their own. Um, in most cases. Um, so you, really what you do is just what we call companioning them through the process. You listen to them, you help them process their um, emotions. Now, one thing that um, there might be a, a gentle word you can, you can put in at the right, you know, you really need to be uh, in prayer about this. And one of my mentors once said that one thing that he says is, um, you know, uh, miracles on this side of heaven are always temporary. And I've said that sometimes with, with people. Um, you really, it's really, um, you don't want to put people in a position where they lose faith, but you also don't want to see people get in a position where you're afraid they're going to lose faith. So it's really, you know, you have to feel it a lot. Um, there's no, there's no real rule, but eventually they do get there on their own. They go through this process of hope and they move from a hope from a cure to a hope for a life after life. And that's, Kind of the process they go through. You know, I've often said to people who are dying, because I don't believe that the pastor's responsibility is to remove hope ever, and even to increase it. And I say to people, and it's true, I've seen people worse than you are get well. I've seen people who are sicker than you are uh, get healed. And I'm going to be praying for that, and I'm a pretty good prayer. But I don't get a vote. And... Uh, you're going to die anyway, whether it's now or later, which kind of goes along with what Rick said. Mm -hmm. You know, we are mortal. Let me ask you one thing, and then I want Drew to say something. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, go ahead, Drew. Sure. Thanks, Rick. And thanks, Steve. And Rick, nice to meet you via you Skype here. Uh, you know, as a, as a young pastor, I, I think I'm probably not alone in just the tendency to want to kind of immediately jump in and help, uh, say the right word, console in the proper way, speak not only to the one who's dying, but also to the family. Uh, as I'm uh, thinking about this subject and, and what you've shared so far, are there um, practical kind of do's and don'ts that you would suggest uh, are worth conversing about with a family grieving and also things that you would suggest like, hey, maybe hold or wait on that? Yeah, often it's kind of interesting your comment about, um, you know, one another right things to say. I've often said I wish that I had the script writers who do the, t you know, the, the TV shows about pastors come along and write what I need to say when I need to say it. That would really help out a lot. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. Um, but um, one of the rules I always follow is, is when in doubt, be silent. Mm. Um, don't try to make them feel better. You're not going to make them feel better. This is this is sad, and they need to feel that sadness, and they need to be there in the moment. Um, so, and just so your you're presence. Saying, you're saying, "Listen." It sounds like, <laughs> which is something that listen, not all of us do. Be well. present. Be a calm presence. Um, mm -hmm. One of my one of my other colleagues I worked with once was a chaplain. He said that ninety percent of the job is just showing up. Um, you're there. You're representing representing God. You're representing God's love. Um, 
And so, you know, being there is a lot of times enough. Mm-hmm. What you don't want to say things like, um, well, God needs another angel or, you know, um, things like that tend to not float very well. You don't want to minimize their, their suffering, um, but be there with them in it. Let them know that you're not scared of it, that you will be with them, go through this with them. And um, that means a lot to a lot of people. You know, as you say, that reminds me that the pe- guys that are listening right now, the pastors and the ones sitting at this table, um, we live in a culture that wants to avoid death. And one of the interesting phenomenon that will take place in a hospital is that doctors avoid the rooms of terminally ill patients. Now, they have to get their fee, so they stop in, look at the board, uh, smile, and then leave. But they they start avoiding people who are dying. And friends do exactly the same thing. Friends don't know what to say. They don't know how to do it. And so they don't visit very often. And you speak of this in your book, the problem of loneliness. And that's where a pastor is so very important. And what you said, Rick, is very important to show. I mean, we don't want to go and talk about that either. I mean, we've got our own mortality, but they pay you the big bucks to go and sit down and be there, and that's the most important thing, to hold a hand, to say a prayer, to be quiet, or to say to the person who's dying, this is hell, isn't it? I know it's awful. And listen to what they say. Hey, uh, Rick, this is Kevin. Um, Thank you so much for your time. This has been very encouraging. Um, As a pastor, I've oftentimes been invited to go visit those who are in these situations on behalf of a family or a concerned relative for the purpose of visiting them and sharing the gospel. Um, Obviously that is going to come up against some of the things we've been talking up. You know, how do you balance that need to let people process grief, um, have a ministry of presence, but also gently press in to share that. Um, That's, that's sometimes difficult for me to navigate. Well, it's really a challenge for me because as chaplains, we're not really allowed to proselytize. And there's a good reason for that because not all chaplains are Christians. They're Buddhist chaplains or Muslim chaplains or atheist chaplains. They're Wiccan chaplains. And we're dealing with people who are in a vulnerable position. Now, am I, we often say that uh, people die as they live. And although there are some deathbed conversions, I haven't seen as many as you might expect. I've seen a few. But ultimately, we have to realize that it's, it's God who calls. It's God who saves. We can be there. Now, if someone asks me something, I can answer their questions. Um, if someone comes to me and says, you know, um, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to make it. What do I do? I can say, well, you know, here's, here's what I believe we do. Uh, but... Um, you kind of have, to, you know, with, with, with a pastor, it's a little bit different. Um, I remember this story. Um, someone told me about a chaplain who went into a room. Actually, a, a chap, someone who's getting trained as a chaplain. They went into a room and immediately went up to the patient and said, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? The patient got really shook up and looked up at him and said, am I dying? <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, you just know. trust God. Trust God that he's working there, even if you don't see he's working. 
And we don't know what God is doing with a person who has, is minimally conscious or has lost conscious. They're beyond our reach, but they're not beyond God's. Mm-hmm. So I really trust God a lot. And I just follow where I think God is leading and just— you know, it, you know, it's just like my dad once said, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Well, that's good. If I could just say, I, I think a lot of pastors probably leave hospital rooms or long-term care facilities, sometimes feeling a lot of guilt that they did not do what others were hoping they would do or did not accomplish what only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. So what you're saying is very comforting. It is, but don't take it too much to heart. But you don't want to be a chaplain that somebody pays you to keep your mouth shut. You're a pastor and a representative of God. I I had, and this has been not too long ago, my barber died, who was one of the most wicked sinners on the face of the earth. And I loved him. Well, look I mean, what he, he did to your hair. He, well, I know. I, that's not funny. That's demeaning, pastor. But, but he would all, always try to shock me when he got me in the barber's chair. Mm-hmm with his evil. I tell him about Jesus and he said, Jesus won't have anything to do with me. They, I went to see him the night before he died. And I said, Tom, you're going to die. And he knew it. I wasn't doing what you did, Rick, or whoever your friend was that uh, the person didn't even know they were dying. He knew he was dying. And I said, Tom, you're going to die. And every time I've ever talked about Jesus, you've interrupted me. And I want you to shut up and listen because I don't want to go to heaven if you're not there. And I want you to listen to every word that I say. And he said, I'm listening. Okay. And I told him about Jesus. He prayed the sweetest, most childlike prayer Mm -hmm. that, uh, that you have ever heard. And I think pastors have a responsibility at that point. I think your words like, I think you're a Christian, but I want to make sure. So I want to talk to you about some things are, this is awful right now. And I've got something that'll help. Let me tell you what makes all the difference in the world. But I think what Rick said is very important because sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you simply can't pull that off. And I understand that. Yeah, I was, I, I'm sitting here thinking, because when, when when he mentioned that, um, man, I, everything everything within me wants to say Jesus, Jesus, and scream it from the mountaintop, <laughs> you know. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I'm an upbeat person. So if, if you come in and you're angry and you're mad, my first inkling, Drew, is to say, don't be angry, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Jesus loves, you know. And then I'm going to say, who are you to tell me not to be angry? Exactly, exactly. You're looking at more restrained anger than you'll ever see in your lifetime. Wow. <laughs> so I, I think my question, when, when, I'm, when I'm looking at the book and all of the emotions that a person goes through, because, I mean, you, in your book you talk about uh, why is this happening to me, and I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and um Again, I, I I'm learning, so I want to I want to learn a different way. Um, do I just ride along with their emotions, or do the pastor inside of me say, "No weapon formed against you shall prosper"? You know, do I do I go to scripture? You know, how do you, how do you how how have you handled that? Well, you have to really look at what they're able to hear at that point in their in their suffering. Um, sometimes they're not in a place where they can hear that. Sometimes what they need to hear is that someone else acknowledges their suffering, is there with them in it. There may be a time later on to do that. Um, I, I do share scripture with people. Um, 
you know, I, I do bring along a lot of these pastoral tools that are, or uh, ministry opportunities that we have. Um, I, I, I do see people come to Christ. Um, but, um, you gotta be, you gotta know where they are and what they can hear at that moment. Um, is because they may not be in a place where they're ready to hear that. And what they need is they just need to know that God loves them and that, and that you're there with them and that you're not going to run away. Let me, uh, Rick, let me ask you, well, one of the mm-hmm. difficult things for all of us is to face our own mortality. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an old guy and I'm cramming for finals, so I face it better than most people, but I don't like thinking about it. Charles Spurgeon uh, used to, when he would go to sleep at night, picture himself in his coffin. And people say, <laughs> you know, that's really weird. No, it's not. It's crazy like a fox he was facing the reality of his own death and god has given pastors an opportunity to face our own mortality so we can minister in places where people are dying it you probably rick have that in spades don't you mm-hmm. well you saying it reminds me of what um, saint benedict once said and his rule is uh, always keep your death before your eyes and in my case, I'm not just seeing my death, but I'm also seeing the many different ways that I could die. Hmm. And a lot of them are not pretty. You know, um, dying in the real world is not like dying on the movies. People generally don't just fall asleep. Hmm. Um, it does happen, but a lot of times death is, is tough. And that's, that's probably the toughest part for me is not just the death, but seeing all the different ways I could die. And, these, and I'm always aware that these things could happen to me. And some of them probably will. That's very sobering. Uh, Rick, this yeah. is Kevin again. Wow. Um, I, I Pastor Drew started out in ministry as a children's pastor. I started out as a student pastor myself and have been in situations where those in the room are oftentimes on the, uh, the, the margins of the room. They're the younger folks, the children and the, you know, the teenagers in there. How do you minister to them in those moments? Uh, that's a difficult thing. That's a good question. I mean, if there's an old person, you know, that's one thing. But if it's a kid, what do you do? And that's the toughest thing for me. And that's the one area, one, one thing I hope to learn more of myself. Um, but like, like with other people, you acknowledge their suffering, acknowledge their hurting, um, listen to them, um, support them. And, um, you know, um, it may be okay to ask for help if, if you need to from, um, you know, someone who works well with children. Um, but uh, that that is tough because, I mean, I, we do have, uh, you know, there are families where, you know, a parent dies and there are children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I think you need, to, you need to be there before and after. Speaking of after, we have a responsibility. You don't. You're a chaplain. But the but as pastors, we have a responsibility of cleaning up messes of mourning after the death, don't we, Rick? Oh yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, you know, it's, um, <laughs> if I'm you sorry. don't talk, this is not going to be a good program. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were addressing the other pastors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it's one thing that I don't do a lot of where I am now, um, but hospice does follow generally. The family for thirteen months afterwards. Mm-hmm. Is that um, right? A lot of times, yeah. it may be done, may be done by a chaplain, may be done by a uh, bereavement counselor. 
just depending on the organization. Beautiful. That's yeah. Rick, it may be uh, that we're not covering some things that you would prefer. You know, you, you have 14 different emotions and feelings and <laughs> things that need to be addressed. Would you bring up a couple of more that we haven't talked about? Yes. Yeah, so um, one of them is, is loss. We've kind of touched on it, but we haven't really talked about it. That um, people who are in the dying process and the last few um, last period of the life, they're dealing with a lot of loss, loss of mobility, sometimes loss of independence, loss of dignity and loss of dreams. We don't always think of that, that when someone gets that, that diagnosis or prognosis, there are dreams that they had that are not going to come true now. For the, as far as we know, as far as from their point of view, you know, they're they're, de- they're looking at those things. You know, I'm not going to see my grandkid graduate from high school. Um, I'm not going to see my my son or daughter get married. And these are real, genuine losses. And we just, we and we need to acknowledge those and you know help them kind of walk through this with them and say, look, it's okay to acknowledge you have losses, and don't and uh, don't think that. Because these things haven't happened yet. They're not really losses. They are losses because they are things you dreamed about, things you were hoping about, and now they're, they may not happen for you. Wow. Do you um, – I'm a scripture, uh, Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received what was promised. That's a realistic statement, isn't it? But you it got, is. But you also have the rest of the statement, therefore mm-hmm. – God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Hmm. We do have a hope, don't we, Rick? We do. And a lot of times what I do, um, there are two verses, two passages of Scripture I go to. One is um, um, Christ asking for the, for the cup to be taken from him. And then I go a lot to Hebrews where we, have a high, we don't have a high priest who is not separate as we are, paraphrasing. And putting those two together in the hands of a patient who is suffering, saying, you know, you know, Jesus suffered everything that we do. Jesus asked for this cup to be um, taken from him. And, you know, if, if Jesus struggled with these things, it's okay for you too also. Yeah. Um, we tend to think of Jesus as, you know, he just marched right up to the cross, took it up, and, you know, ran up that hill and— you know, in his human nature, he struggled with it too. And I often mention that we have a we have a we have a Christ that knows what it's like to die. We have a Father who knows what it's like to lose a son. And we also know this is not the end of the story. Uh, one thing I do not talk a lot about is heaven. Instead, what I do is talk about the resurrection. I often go to the last chapter or, or the 20, 21st, 22nd chapter of Revelation of Jerusalem coming down. And as prepared for a bride, Christ prepared for us for a bride and for God making his home among us and for there are no more tears and no more suffering. Um, that's what I go to a lot. And I say, look, this is this is this is what our hope is. Mm. Um, you know, mm. heaven, heaven and earth coming together and not going to some as pure spirits to some other area and, you know, playing harps on the clouds. That's not our hope. Our hope is. One day we'll be back here on a resurrected earth where heaven and earth have come together. And that's, that's real life for us. Wow. 
Rick, real real quick, yeah, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, when 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 people are passing, ha- what have been your experience of? And this is just again my curiosity of people mm-hmm. having afterlife, kind of in between afterlife experiences. Does that happen um, with with some of the people that you've dealt with? That's the tunnel of light, float above the yeah, bed, yeah, see the doctors, yeah, yeah. kiss your wife goodbye, and then <laughs> head for home. What, do you, have you ever had any of those or seen them or experienced them I, with your patients? I haven't experienced them personally. Uh, I have had friends and people I've known who have experienced something like that. Um, one story I remember from my, from my youth is uh, when I was in college, a friend of mine uh, – um, got alcohol poisoning and what his father told me, they were writing out his death certificate and his father was praying and he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, um, you know, things like this do happen. I don't try to explain it. Um, as Anglicans, we're very good at embracing mystery and not feeling like we have to have an explanation for everything. Well, we're Presbyterian. But, you know, <laughs> I'm, a Pres- I'm a Presbyterian. Me too. We have an explanation <laughs> for everything. everything. <laughs> and, if, and if it doesn't fit, we make it fit, okay? <laughs> hey, Rick, it's time to land this plane. I okay. sure do appreciate By the way, the name of the book is Crossing the Bar, A Fortnight of Meditations for Those Facing End of Life. You... Um, it's it's the kind of book, and it's not expensive, and it's not gigantic, but could make a real difference in the lives of people you know who are facing these issues. And so get it, and rise up and call you, call Rick blessed. And Rick, we rise up and call you blessed. Thanks for thank spending you. time with us. My pleasure. And you guys, thank you too. Thank you, Steve. Thank, thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.